0: some hidden costs associated with this thing that you bought. Um, maybe you uh, signed up for something online, and, and in order to sign up for something online, you had, to, you had to agree to something for, what is it, 30 days, right? You had to agree to something for 30 days, and then all of a sudden, this magazine starts showing up in your house, like, where did this magazine, who ordered this magazine, where did that thing come from? And then a little bit later, you see this line item on your credit card, oh, where, what? oh, that thing I ordered and I forgot to cancel it, I can't believe, now I'm stuck with this thing, and how do I get myself out of it? You know, it seems like in many things in life, there tends to be these hidden costs of things that if we don't read the fine print, if we don't pay attention to details, we find ourselves trapped. And it happens in a lot of other arenas in life. How many of you have taken a job and you get asked to do something and you realize later that this falls under the line item of, um, uh, what do they call it, other duties as assigned? You know, I didn't sign up for that, but now you're here, now you're in it. And guess what? This is part of your responsibility. Um, How many of you have uh, committed to a class that you're going to take this class? This sounds interesting, but you didn't read the fine print of all the assignments and all the requirements for the class. Or maybe you committed to a relationship and you're like, I didn't know there were all these rules in this relationship. I thought we were going to form something new and unique and different for us together. And then you find out later that all these things that are happening in your relationship, that's in his family or that's in her family. And now it becomes part of our lives together. Here's another one. How about uh, how many of you have have bought a pet for your children, thinking you're going to teach them responsibility? Don't raise your hands and confess to that, you know. But who's responsible for the pet classes and who's responsible for the doctor visits and who's responsible for keeping that hamster alive way beyond its lifespan? You know, I mean, we've all had those experiences where we've got ourselves into something and realized it's more than I signed up for. It's more than I signed up for because there's hidden cost associated with it. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our series entitled Follow. And we've been talking about this whole idea of following Jesus, following Jesus. And if you weren't here with us last week, we talked about the trade that Jesus offers us. Uh, We played Let's Make a Deal in church last week. So if you weren't here last week, you missed it. You know, one of our contestants is hiding over here because I picked him out of the second row last week, you know. But, uh, you know, we had a great time just thinking about this whole idea of what Jesus said. When Jesus said, if you want to hold on to your life, you're eventually going to lose it or you could give up your life and you would gain the world so are you willing to make the trade that Jesus is offering to you and over the past few weeks we've looked at this idea of following Jesus over and over again as we looked at this idea of following Jesus we've asked ourselves this question am i following Jesus am i following Jesus And we started off by looking at the reality that Jesus doesn't say you have to be perfect or have it all figured out or believe everything the right way to follow Him. Actually, He prefers that you don't. He just says, will you come, will you follow Me? And then we saw what happens if you do do this. What's the end result? The end result of following Jesus is you discover that God is always with you. And you discover that His love, the love of Christ, will never be separated. You'll never be separated from you. And it will give you the ability when fear creeps into your heart to be able to push that aside and live a life apart from those fears that can paralyze us in so many ways. We talked about adding something to our lives, our style, putting something on and Jesus invited us to put on things like compassion and humility and kindness and patience and gentleness and forgiveness. And so this morning, we're going to continue this journey of talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And this morning, we're going to look at a very unusual passage because we're going to look at a passage, a story in which Jesus invited someone to follow. And this person said, no, thanks, no, thanks. If you have your Bibles, if you were to turn to Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, our guys have some and they're passing them out, making them available uh, to you this morning. The page on the Bibles they're passing out is page 821. Um, you can also follow along on your phone or tablet if you have it with you um, on version, We encourage you to use that throughout the week. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard people talk about telling others about Jesus. And, and the reality is this really comes from following Jesus and a relationship with Jesus being significant and meaningful in your life. I think most of us, when something is important to us or something impacts us or we're pleased with it, we share it with others. You get a great deal. What do you do? You tell your friends about this great deal you got. You find a great restaurant, the service is awesome, the food is spectacular. What do you do? You tell them, you've got to go try out this place. You find a great mechanic, you carefully tell the few friends you want to tell about that because you don't want to get scheduled to get too booked that you can't get your vehicle in there. You know? And so when we experience something that's significant in our lives, we want to share that. And that's true with a relationship with Jesus. You've heard story, heard Jesus say things like, he came to seek and to save the lost. We hear stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. We heard that Jesus talked about making people fishers of men. He said, go and make disciples and you will be my witnesses. And likely you've heard these verses over and over and over again. And as I heard these verses, I realized that inviting people to follow Jesus kind of has a pattern to it. Um, The guys are passing something out to you that we're going to look at a little bit later in the morning. Early on in my life, the pattern of inviting people to follow Jesus looked a little bit like this. It was go to total strangers, make them feel guilty so they will follow Jesus, and then brag about your success. That's kind of what my experience was early on in my faith. But as I sat with that and thought about that all night, I thought, there's something not right about that. And so I kind of tweaked it a little bit and, and modified it to this. For many years here at CCC, go to people who are like me. That's a lot easier than total strangers. Befriend them. That sounds like a good thing. Invite them to some kind of functionary event and kind of slide the gospel truth in there and then try to convince the unconvinced. And so that kind of became my MO for a lot of years. But as I I sat with what Jesus did and continued to try to understand what did Jesus say about following him? What did living life and following the example, if being a follower of Jesus means I commit myself to make my life and do my life the way Jesus did his life, what does that look like? And it looks a little bit different. It's go, not to strangers or people that are like me, but to people who are very different than I am. Serve them, pray for them, love them, and invite them to discover a different kingdom to live for. Pretty different picture. Pretty different picture. And as we walk through this story this morning in Mark chapter 10, I think you're going to see this, story, this picture fleshed out quite vividly. If you're there in your Bibles in Mark chapter 10, let's begin in verse 17. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. A good teacher, he asked, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And this seems like someone who is sincerely interested. He comes to Jesus, he falls on his knees at a sign of of submission and humility. He acknowledges him as a good teacher, and then he asks about eternal life. But in reality, this guy's request of Jesus um, is really a mocking statement. It's as if someone would come up to me and say, Highly honored religious man, can I ask your opinion on this question? It's kind of a mocking statement that he makes. Because Jesus doesn't even dignify the guy with an answer to his question. He doesn't say, just come follow me. He doesn't say, give your life to Jesus. He doesn't say any of those things. Look what he says when he answers him. He says, "Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone." He didn't acknowledge Jesus' deity. He just said he was a teacher. He then goes on to say, "You know the commandments: you should not murder, commit adultery, steal, give false witness, defraud, honor your father and your mother." Jesus basically takes the second half of the commandments, commandments six through nine, six through eight, and then he adds number or six through eight, six through nine, and then he adds number five in the end there. And he gives him the commandments that are all relational. That are all relational. All the commandments that Je- that were talked about in the Old Testament that Jesus reinforced. And, and this guy, as he hears these commandments, he, you can almost hear him in his mind as Jesus is saying them. He's checking the box. Yep, I'm good that one. Yep, I'm good on that one. Yep, good on that one. Good on that one. And you can almost kind of see his chest kind of puffing out more and more as he's speaking. And he says, you know... I'm good on all of them. Have been since I was a little kid. And then Jesus says something in verse 21 that really left me puzzled. Says he looked at him and he loved him. He looked at him and then he loved him. Um This guy, from every indication in this story, really wasn't searching for answers. Every indication is he was somewhat arrogant, a bit self-righteous, stuck on himself, proud of his accomplishments, looking for a way to stump the teacher, if you will. It's like a freshman trying to stump the college professor, or a rookie trying to show up a veteran on the team, or a parent trying to tell a coach he has been coaching for 20 years, no, this is the way you have to do it. And I thought to myself, why does Jesus, how does Jesus love someone like this? You know, my response would be to dismiss him. His heart is hard, he's arrogant, he's self-righteous, he's full of pride, he's foolish. Don't talk to a fool in his folly. How does Jesus love him? Does he know more about his story? Does he see what might transform in this guy, But be transformative in this guy's heart, in his life? We don't really know. All we know is that there was a part of Jesus that had compassion and love for someone who, from my observation, appears to be pretty unlovable. And when I think about his capacity to do that, it just leaves me in wonder and amazement at the love that Christ has for people. But Jesus no, this issue with this guy wasn't his goodness, wasn't his ability to keep the rules. I mean, this guy was a black and white. He said, give me the rules, and I'll stay in the rules. You show me where the lines are, I'll stay right in the lines. I won't go out of the lines. I'll be good with staying in the lines. Jesus said, it's not about the lines. It's not about being good. There's something that you're missing. Because Jesus was not interested in rule keepers. He was interested in people that wanted a relationship. And that's what he talked about over and over and over and over again. What does Jesus then going to say to him? "Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me," he says. "Very, very unusual." Over and over, we've looked at story after story of Jesus kind of tapping someone on the shoulder and said, come on and follow me. Come on and follow me. Come on. He never puts any of these guidelines here. He never says any of these kind of hidden costs on the front side. He doesn't do that at all. Now, to us, it seems pretty radical. Give away all your stuff and just come and follow Jesus. But in the first century, the ancient Near East, it wasn't unusual. If a respected rabbi or teacher tapped you on the shoulder and said, come, be my disciple, you'd be like, absolutely, I'm leaving this all and I'm going. It would be a little bit like, in our t- context today, if someone who was um, the best, the, recognized the best in your field, whatever field you are in, whatever profession you're in, whatever sport you're in, they're the best in that sport. And they said to you, you know, I've got a week or two free in my schedule. You know, why don't you just come and hang out with me? You you think you can make that happen? We would say, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. The best business guy in your mind or woman in your mind. The guru that you listen to and follow and read about. And they say, you got any time? You think you can come and spend a week with me? And say, no questions asked. No questions asked. And that's what this invitation from Jesus was like. Now, let's think about what, the, what Jesus said to this guy. He said two things. He said, sell all and give it to the poor. Sell all and give it to the poor. Now, I don't believe this is an instruction that he tells all of us to do. In, in Jewish literature, they basically said, don't give everything to the poor. Give 10% because they didn't want everybody to be destitute on the street needing help. And so they actually had to quantify this in Jewish writings. But I think what Jesus was saying to this particular guy is Jesus knew what had a grip on this guy's heart. He knew that his money had a grip on this guy's heart. Jesus often talks about the dangers of wealth and the dangers of relying upon ourselves and upon God. And the reality is that all of us have to constantly face is that we are all wealthy. Most, if not all of us, if we need something, we have most of what we need. And if we don't have what we need, we just pull out the card and swipe it and go buy it. That's what we do. I mean, ask yourself this question. When was the last time you needed something and you stopped and asked God to provide and you waited for Him to do so? You you waited for Him to do so. When When I wrote this question, I thought, I'm not sure I know when... I'd done that, and then I remembered something that I thought, you know, I'm just going to keep asking God. I don't know when, where, if, how. I'm just going to keep asking. But we don't need to do that. And so what, what that leads us to is being self-sufficient, self-reliant. We can take care of ourselves, and that's absolutely where this guy was. But it was more than just give away all your stuff. Jesus adds a second part to that statement where he says to him, I want you to give it to the poor. I want you to give it to the poor. This is not something new that God had been saying to his people. He had been saying over and over and over and over again, all throughout the Old Testament and even into Jesus' writings, don't ignore the poor, they will always be with you. Don't ignore them. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet Isaiah writes this to the people of Israel. He he says this, he says, Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. I can't bear your worthless assemblies. Your feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate them. They are such a burden to me. He said, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes. Even when you offer prayers, I am not listening to you. He says, I'm tired of all the religious stuff. I'm tired of all the feasts and all the festivals and all the things you're giving and all the prayers you're offering. I'm tired of all of that. You say, why was he so tired of all of that? He says to them in verse 16, he says, wash yourselves and make yourself clean. Really, repent is what he's asking them to do. And then he says this, I want you to learn to do what's right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widows. And what the prophet Isaiah was saying, it was repeated all throughout the Old Testament, and what Jesus picked up on and said is, you can't say that you're a follower of me and reject the needs of people all around you. You can't do it. You can't do it. And for people like myself that have come out of a, of a, of a more fundamental background, we've, we've kind of steered away from that. We haven't known what to do with that. Like, well, we have to tell them about Jesus, and then once we tell them about Jesus, then maybe we'll help them. And then there's others of you that come up from a background where, where there's a lot of tel- helping people, a lot of helping people, but nobody ever gets around to telling them about Jesus. And I think Jesus wants us to pay attention to both of those things. Both of those things. Presence and proclamation, both of those things. And he says to this guy, he says you need to get rid of all your stuff cuz it's got a grip on you and you need to give that to people who are greatly in need. Look at the guy's response in verse 22. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad and you we discover why because he had great wealth. He couldn't give up his conveniences. He couldn't give up his devices, his comforts, his comfort food, his wardrobe, his movie channels, his Netflix subscription. He couldn't give anything up. He couldn't give it up. You now if you were here last week, you heard some of our students talk about their experience of being up in the Canadian wilderness. Just giving up some of the conveniences we live with to meet with God. You heard a team earlier this this summer talking about being in New York City and another team in Haiti talking about giving up some of the personal conveniences just to be able to serve other people. I mean, sometimes we just lose sight of the fact that we have everything we need at our fingertips all the time, all the time. He discovered the hidden cost of following Jesus and suddenly his face told the story. I I can't go there. I can't go there. Jesus goes on to say in verse 23, he said, it's hard for rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at this and he said it again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And, and for them, they knew exactly what that meant. For us, camel means petting zoo at the fair. That's all we know about camels. But, you know, camels were the largest animal in that region, in the land of Palestine. The largest animal they'd ever seen. And the size of a camel was massive. And they, and they would use them for transportation and mostly used by the wealthy. And so it was the biggest animal by people of great wealth and great means. And he compared it to the smallest size he could think of, which was the eye of a needle. And so he says, for rich to enter, it's like a camel going through an eye of a needle. And they're thinking, camel, eye of a needle, camel, eye of a needle. Can't happen. Can't happen. And that's exactly what the disciples said. And look what they said in verse 25, 26. They were more amazed and they said, well then, if they can't even do it and they have all the wealth and this guy's a good dude, who, who has a prayer? Who has a prayer? Who can be saved? Jesus reminded them of this, with this powerful statement. He said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. just reminds us it doesn't matter where someone is, that if God grabs a hold of their heart, whether rich or poor, and they recognize their need for Jesus, that they can become a follower of His. Peter then says, God, that Jesus, that's what we've done. And He was right. They had left everything. The stories say they walked away from family. They walked away from professions. They walked away likely from wealth in the case of Matthew. They walked away from all of those things. And Jesus said, it will be repaid to you many, many, many times over. You know, this is a hard concept to push into because when we talk about following Jesus, we want to say, just come and follow Jesus and give your life to Jesus. And we don't always talk about these kinds of things. I don't know that I've ever read any presentation of sharing the gospel Say, by the way, if you choose to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something financially and it's going to cost your time to serve people in need. But that's literally what Jesus is saying here. He's not making it conditions of following Jesus, but He said this is a cost that will be associated with doing it. Following Jesus involves making financial sacrifices and serving others in need. And nobody tells you that on the front end of the conversation. You know, it's easy to minimize this passage. It's easy to say, Jesus was asking me to give it all up. He's not asking me that. Is He, John? I hope not. I hope not. He's not asking me to do that. I don't know what He's asking me to do, to be honest. I don't know. I know He doesn't ask anybody else in the Bible to do this. He, Zacchaeus gives a portion of it back. Zacchaeus gives... others give great... Amounts back. I don't know what he's going to stir up in you to give. I don't know. So, why is this money thing such a big deal to Jesus? Because money is powerful. It's powerful. Paul talks about that in his letter to Timothy. Because money has this capacity to deceive us, to make you think you're secure, you're okay. Money has this capacity to, to, to make us think everything has a price. Everything can be bought. Even our faith. And somehow Jesus loved this guy in spite of all of this. He loved this guy in spite of the grip that money had on his soul. He loved this guy in spite of the fact that he walked away from Jesus. Jesus. for far too much of my life and my faith journey, I offered Jesus to people I thought would take Him. And then I tried to convince them if they didn't take Him. And I've had to wrestle with the fact that that's not my role. My role is to say, God, how do you want me to offer Jesus to people? And it's God's job to bring them to Him. Jesus said the rich man lacked one thing, one thing. He doesn't tell us what he actually lacked. He told him what he wanted to do. He never said what he lacked. I I thought, what is some of the things that the rich man lacked? One of the things the rich man might have lacked is he might have lacked happiness. You know, we buy into this myth that if I have more, I'll be happy. But studies show that people that double their income, especially very quickly, their joy in life goes down. I think he lacked trust trust he put his trust in his money wasn't willing to put his trust in god and i think the last thing he lacked is compassion for others who are less fortunate regardless of the reason that they were in that situation so what's god calling you to do what's he stirring your heart to do i don't know what that is this morning um but i want to ask one of the Guys here in our church, Dave, if he would come forward and uh, where are you, Dave? There you are. Come on up. Um, and I've asked Dave to come and just answer a couple questions just to talk about this whole issue of, of following Jesus and serving others in need. It, the handout that you received, if you didn't take a chance to glance at it, pull that out just while he's coming and making his way up here. And um, we put together just a list of opportunities to serve people in need in our community and we're not going to ask you to do anything today. We're not. There's no pitch or plea to do that. Um, we just want to challenge you to ask yourself the question: Am I serving people who have great needs? So I don't know what God wants me to do with my money. God's blessed me. I've been blessed. I and and many of us are in so many amazing ways. I think one of the things that happens when we serve others is we pry our fingers off the grip that our wealth can have on our hearts. And so I've asked Dave to come and share some of his experience uh, with an organization that he's been serving uh, for a little while. So um, Dave, tell us, how did you get connected to uh, serving opportunity of one of the uh, organizations
1: on this list, Peter's Porch? Okay. Um, first, before I start, I did this first service. I just want to tell you, wearing a sport coat up front is not a requirement. Um, this is in Thank celebration you. of my dad's passing. Um, it's going on five years now, so I wear this in honor of my dad. Um, nobody has to change and wear what you wear to church, so that's cool. Um, I'd much rather be in shorts and a T-shirt than this, but hey, it's okay. This is what dad would wear. Um, Peter's Porch. I got involved because our small group decided to do a project, um, in the community and so we were talking about what we would do and our leader mike gorlowski said hey why don't we serve it you know a, a soup kitchen or a food pantry or something and in my mind i'm thinking okay we're going to go to philadelphia or pittsburgh or chicago and then he said hey there's one right in our area in denver and i was like what there's one in denver and i think like, we don't have people that need that in our area and so we all agreed and, and we decided to serve and um i i was in shock that when i got there these were people that were and are my neighbor um people that i see in the grocery store uh so it it was kind of neat to make some connections there too uh, for the first time
0: so these are people that have in some way kind of fallen on hard times or really struggling and they serve them so tell us what do they do at this what does this uh ministry do
1: Okay, uh, when we get there, actually, you could smell a breakfast cooking. They serve them a hot breakfast, first thing, um, because a lot of people are are hungry. They, some people are living out of a hotel uh, suitcase. Um, they don't have a meal. They may come with five or six kids. Um, so the kids are all hungry, too. So they feed them first, and then the Thursday before the serving of Saturday morning, a group of... of uh, individuals gets together and they fill grocery bags in. and it could be anywhere from like three bags of groceries to five bags of groceries per family or individuals that come so they get uh, a hot meal they get groceries they get meat and they also have a pastor that prays with them and they get to make connections with people from churches in the area that just want to love them and be a part of their life.
0: So Dave, you went and did this with your small group, kind of fulfilled. Hey, we should do this. Um, but you decided to go back and keep doing it. Can you tell us what prompted you to go back and keep doing it?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, originally I thought, okay, we're going to go and we can go once and maybe that would be it. But after I went the first time, um, you know, we talked about our group doing it as a whole. But I knew the moment I walked in the door and met some of these people. Um, I was going to be continuing to make friendships with them. Um, what you do, I'm called a runner, and we get a shopping cart, and we get an a, uh, individual signed to us, and you walk them through the different uh, wind, uh, doorways where they get their groceries, and then you take them out, and you get some fresh produce, and then you walk them to the car. So you could just have no conversation with them or talk to them, and I choose to talk to them the whole time, So, and or just listen. And so as I'm doing that, they're sharing some of their stories, and you ask the right questions, and they're very talkative. And so uh, I remember the very first uh, one that I went to, I walked this lady out, and um, I got out to her car, You know, having a really nice conversation with her. She was very friendly and very, very appreciative of the food that she was going to get. And we got to her car, and from the floor up to the ceiling, there was just stuff. And I was like, oh my goodness, I think this lady was living out of her car. Mm. And so here I have like five bags of groceries and produce and things that I have to fit into this car. And I said, uh, are you sure you're going to fit this in here? Where are you going to sit? And she's like, oh yeah, there's plenty of room. So we somehow got it all in there and she mm. left happy. And I was like, wow, God, you know, like I go home to an apartment and there's space, you know, and she's putting it all in her car, so um i'm a you know hearing their stories is one thing, but I'm a visual person, so to to see that God used that image and it just you know repeats back in my mind of seeing her in her car and um and realizing you know that that people have different stories it's i, I don't know what her circumstances, is why she has all those things in her car um just like you don't know my story and i don't know John's full story, so everybody has a journey that they're on and we're just kind of helping them along the way.
0: So Dave, you've been doing this now, I think you said, for about a year, year and a half. So what is what is serving others in this way? What does it cost you? Um,
1: well, this uh, this one Saturday I went, there was this guy, and he kind of looked really kind of sad and down. And I'm like, hey, what's going on, you know? And he's like, well, I I recently am divorced. um my wife kicked me out. I lost everything. He lived in Florida. I'm thinking, wow, Florida, that's got to be pretty good. But he had nothing in Florida. So he moved north because he has a, a son that lives in the area and uh, didn't have a job and was applying for jobs. So this food that he was receiving was going to help him um, until he could find another job. And he was waiting you know, for this job to come through. And as he shared his story... Um, And he said, you probably can't relate to any of this. And then I just shared some of my story when I was going through at that time in my life. And, you know, his whole demeanor changed. He was, like, this down, kind of depressed guy. And then he, like, flipped, and he's like, really? And then he, like, opened up, and we started this rapport. And um, the next week he came back, and I said, hey, how's the job hunting going? And he's like, well, I had a couple interviews, nothing yet. I said, well, where are you living? He's like, I'm still in the hotel. And I was like, okay, but he was pretty hopeful about this one job. And then the next time he comes back, and he's like, you know, he seemed more happy. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he got the job, and his son was connecting with him, and, you know, he, he was finding a place to live. And so, to me, that is such a blessing to be able to hear somebody's life in progress and where God has brought them. Um, and all we were there was for the journey, you know, to walk this guy's cart out to his cart. So,
0: I mean, it sounds like, Dave, it's a little bit of time and it's a, little, and it's a willingness to open your heart to people and um, see what God might do just really to love them and serve them right where they're at. Um, so, would you thank Dave for sharing a little bit of his story and what God's, how God's using him? Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. You know, I don't know what God's stirred up in your heart this morning, just looking at this story of a man who chose not to follow Jesus because of the things that were wrapped around his heart. A couple questions for you to ask yourself as we finish this part of the service. And the first is, how tightly is my fist closed around my money? How tightly is my fist closed around my money? Only you can answer that question. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter if it's just an allowance you get from mom and dad, or it's a pretty substantial paycheck every week. Um, How tightly is it closed? Second... What's God calling me to give up to trust him with my money? I mean, this guy, he had to give it all up because God knew how tightly it was wrapped around his heart. But maybe God's giving you a nudge and saying, you know, there's something you've been holding on to. There's something I, I need you to just do this. I don't know what this is. I think some of you do. And if you're not sure, just take that question home with you. Say, I'm going to sit with this for a week. I'm going to talk to God about this. I'm going to talk to my spouse. Say, is there something that we just need to bless others with? Or give away. Um, And lastly, how's God stirring me to serve and show compassion to others in need? You know, one of the reasons I asked Dave to share his story this morning is because I knew Dave had been doing this beyond just a once and done. I think the church and people of faith were usually pretty good at kind of once and done things, we're not very good at just doing it over and over and over and over again with little results that we can see on this earth. And sometimes God just calls us to pour our lives into the lives of other people as a way to show and express the amazing love He has blessed us with and leave the outcome fully in His hands. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. And as we do that, we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us and His love for us And He didn't die on the cross just for the people that were going to say yes to follow. He died on the cross for the whole world. And He offers that free gift to all. Not everyone receives it, but He offers it to all. And He calls us to be willing to offer our lives to others as well. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me as we um, just pray and prepare our hearts for communion? God, the invitation seems simple. Just to follow. And um, yet in this story, you add more to it. You add follow with some conditions. And that kind of leaves us scratching our heads a little bit because we know salvation's free. But Jesus knew there was something more going on in this guy's heart and in his life. And so he says, it's going to cost you a little more. And if you're willing to give that up, then you can come and follow. sadly, he wasn't. God, you know what's got a grip around each one of our hearts. You know what money does to us. The security, the comfort, the ease, the confidence. Um So God, I just pray that each one of us would look at these issues that this story pushes up in our lives. Not only that, God, but I pray that you would help us to take seriously your words that the poor will always be with us, to take seriously the example of Jesus who loved and served and moved towards people in need over and over and over again. In his life while he was here. And God again. I don't know what that looks like. For each one of us. But I pray that you would. Weight our hearts. Give us a picture. Like Dave talked about. And move us to say. God how and in what way. Do I need to realign my life. So that this becomes a consistent. Picture of my life. As I seek to follow Jesus. Jesus. God, these are hard words to wrestle with, but help us to do that this morning, knowing we can't do this on our own. We need you, in your name, amen. In just a moment, the guys are going to pass out some bread, and then a little bit later some juice. and. On a regular basis, we just pause to remember the incredible sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. The bread reminds us of his body that was physically beaten and tortured, if you will, for us. And the, blood represent, the, the juice represents his blood that was given so that we could have life. And so this morning, we invite you to take of this as a way to remember, as a way to celebrate Um, All that Jesus has done for us, and help us to do that with humble and grateful hearts. Guys?